Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Good to see you all. Thanks. Thanks. You're joining us online. It's good to uh, see you through the lens and uh, glad that you're with us. Throughout history, all throughout history, uh, history has been marked by faithful women, women who were faithful. We see that all throughout history. We can see that throughout scripture. And we can see that um, from the first century on and to later to now. And many of us have been uh, received the benefit of being blessed by, or we've seen it happen, where other people are blessed by faithful women in our lives or around us. And today we're kind of embarking on a journey of looking at a few women of the word, women who are in scripture, who in the face of risk, in the face of pain, in the face of uh, their, their own lives being in danger, they chose faith. They chose faithfulness. They saw that in their moment, in the moment that they were in, that we're going to see they chose faithfulness. And my prayer is that as we look at their lives, we'll be uh, equipped and inspired and God will do something in us that when we are faced with moments that we can either choose faithfulness or to choose fear or to follow that, instead, we'll choose faithfulness every moment. So today, before we get into uh, who we're going to be looking at, um, we are going to, I want to just set the scene for, for you. So we need to go back. We need to put our thinking caps on. Everybody got those on. Don't worry. It's not going to mess up your hair. It's all good. Um, so go back to the time of Moses. Moses, uh, God ro- raised him up and he was uh, told to go to Egypt, where he had already fled, and to uh, rescue the Israelite people, God's people. And so, uh, to make a long story short, Moses eventually was obedient and was faithful and led them out of Egypt, and then they were in the wilderness. They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. An entire generation had gone by, and the moment we're in now in history is where Moses has died, and his protege, his Padawan, has taken over. His name is Joshua, and Joshua is getting the the Israelite people ready because God had promised Abraham, which was their ancestor, that he would uh, give them a land, uh, a promised land. This was a land that God promised to them. But before they crossed over the Jordan River, they were on the east side, they needed to go to the west side. And before they were able to receive the promised land, they were going to need to deal with the people who were there. Now, Uh, Anybody who's ever read the book of Joshua may have uh, encountered the ruthless violence that we see in Scripture, right? And some of us, have that's that's created some uneasiness in our hearts, and I get it. Uh, Because Scripture doesn't always just say what to do, it just says sometimes what happened. Uh, But it's important to understand these people who God was going to lead them into this land, who were occupying this land, these were some really wicked people. Uh, they were the Canaanites. And the, the, the wickedness that they were participating in, God had uh, relented on his justice up to this point, on judgment. But it's important for us to understand what kinds of things that they did. So the Canaanites were a people who worshipped different gods, different deities, and uh, they were mainly around the idea of fertility and sex. And so these uh, deities, like the people, in worship to their deities, uh, they practice all kinds of crazy stuff. Sexual immorality, homosexuality, 
Uh, they, they practice uh, men sexually abusing boys. That was accepted. Uh, they, they practice uh, people having sex with animals. Uh, they, they practice a lot of different, like incest, lots of things that would, we would be like, that is disgusting, that is horrible, that is wicked. Certainly away from God's intention for humans, this is what they were doing. But worst of all, they had a god named Molech that they worshipped. Now Molech was uh, kind of, they worshipped at the statue, was kind of, you know, identified as Molech. And Moloch had in his belly a fire that they would stoke. And the way you would go to worship Moloch is, uh, this is how they went to church, okay? This is they went to worship. Uh, people, families would take their firstborn child, uh, a newborn, a toddler, um, early on in their life, and they would bring that child to Moloch and place that child in that fiery stomach, and that child would be sacrificed in the name of uh, fertility for the rest of their lives. And so this was wicked stuff. These people were wicked. They were evil, and God was going to now use the Israelites as an instrument of justice because he was going to judge them for their wickedness. And so it's, under, it's important to understand the kind of historical situation when we see Joshua going and leading the Israelites into this place and waging war against them. So uh, we are at the point now where Joshua is preparing the troops. And in Joshua chapter 2, so you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua has prepared them for what they are going to do. And before they embark on this uh, battle, Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, he starts to move. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying... Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left. And they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Let me introduce you to our the first woman we're going to look at. Faithful woman named Rahab, the prostitute. So Rahab, uh, we, so the scripture is very careful in wording this in the Hebrew language. To not infer that these spies were going to Rahab to take her up on her work. You know what I'm saying? So, scripture basically articulates that they went, and they went to Jericho to scout the land. But for some reason, so commentators have kind of debated on, on what Rahab's situation is here. Uh, some who are uncomfortable with, you know, a woman who's like this, being a prostitute, being in scripture and all this stuff. Uh, they're like, oh no, she's not a prostitute. She's more of like an innkeeper, that kind of thing. But she was a prostitute. Let's just, let's just call it out. Um, but also it seems as though because of what's going to happen soon, people are going to find out that these spies were there. It seems as though her house, whatever that looked like, was some sort of place of lodging. So maybe you could go there and stay and you don't have to take her up on her other add-ons. But that's kind of the situation. It was some kind of public place because soon uh, after they arrive, the uh, king of Jericho finds out that these men are there to scout the land and they... Uh, somehow know these, this information. And so the king of Jericho sends royal messengers to Rahab's house and they demand that, that she send these men out of her house. And so in this moment, Rahab is faced with what seems to be a very simple, comp, like simple choice. Choice one. 
These men are still in her house, by the way. Uh, we don't know that yet, but you now know that. Um, these men are in her house, and they are requesting her to send them out, basically send them out to their death. But she's a Canaanite woman. Uh, this is her people. And the simple choice would be, okay, yeah, they're here. I'm glad you guys came. Uh, because I certainly don't want these Israelite people to destroy us, my family, me, all that. Uh, so, yes, they are in there. Please go get them and bring them out. Go do with them what you want. That's, that's the choice that makes sense. But choice number two is in the face of that, with these enemy people inside of her house, we'll just call it a house, there's an opportunity to commit treason against her home country, her home people. And say, you know what, uh, yeah, they were here, but uh, they went over there, they left, and uh, I, you, you might want to go check that out over there. To basically put her life at risk, because if they found out, they would kill her, and they would kill them. And again, these are Israelite men who are not Canaanite people, who they were scouting the land, preparing for battle. Uh, the, the choice seems to be pretty clear, right? The choice seems to be clear. But as we will find out, uh, her choices, well, that's, this is what they were. Verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she's participating. She took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the, the, the men did come to me, but I, I didn't know where they were from. I mean, I don't know. At, at nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, uh, the, men, the men went out, and I don't, I don't know where they were going. Uh, you better chase after them quickly, and, and you can catch up with them. But see, she had taken them to the roof and hid them. And so the question is, why? Why did she do that? We'll get to that in a minute. But the, the men who were there, the royal messengers, they, they said, okay, well, that seems to be legitimate. That seems to be uh, make sense. And so they, they left. And they went and they pursued these Israelite men who they thought were in the, the wilderness now, out, out in, the, in the hills. And they, they followed them and they, they left. And then uh, after that, Rahab has a moment where she goes up. So verse 8, before the men fell asleep, so she got rid of the royal messengers, got rid of these people. They believed her, at least for the moment. Uh, before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. So, so it seems to be that the reputation of the Israelites and what God was doing through them has spread to the people of Jericho. They are very well aware of what God has been doing on their behalf. So uh, they were anticipating this. They were fearful of this. And Rahab is certainly aware of what's going on and what is to come and what God might do to her and her people. And so verse 10, for, for we have heard how, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, which by the way was like 40 years ago, uh, before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and, and Og, the, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we, we lost heart, and, and, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord is your God, is God in heaven and above and on earth below. He is... The God, he's the one in charge. Now, please, 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 swear to me by the Lord that you also show kindness to my father's family because I show kindness to you. 
Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. Do you see what she was saying? This woman, this woman of wickedness, this woman who had, her her work was sinful. Like her very every day she drives to to work, that is sinful. Everything that she does is sinful. She recognized the moment. She recognized that God was on their side, that Molech and all the other deities that her and her people had worshipped, no match for this God. No match for the God of Israel. No match for Yahweh. No match for him. And so she recognized, uh, man, this is for real. God is about to shower judgment on us. He is the God of above heaven. He is the God on earth below. He's the one in charge. She confesses her faith in Yahweh. She confesses that she has faith in him. And you have to think, like, for Rahab, this, this, this woman of, of evil, like, she had a past, y'all. Like, she had a past that was, like, yesterday. She had a past that was, like, earlier that day that she made that confession. She had some history. A lot of things that would tell her, you know what, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve to be delivered from this judgment. I don't, I don't deserve any of that. And yet she confessed that he is the God who is in charge. And she asked for kindness and asked for mercy. See, she had a past. <clears throat> she had a past. But she also had faith. She had a past. But she also had faith. And that's the difference. That's. The game changer. And, you know, I, th- I think about, like, our lives, right? Like, each one of us, no matter whether you grew up in church or, or not, um, no matter what you've experienced in life, you've all, we've all have a past. And some of us, our past, it was this morning. <laughs> uh, it was yesterday. Some of us, we have things in our lives, in our memory bank, that, uh, that it happened in the past, and yet it haunts us in the present, Right? It's something that we still can't shake. It's something that somebody said to us after we did something that we shouldn't have done. It's something that we did to someone else. Whatever it is, it's something that still wreaks havoc in our lives today. And any of us who have lived long enough uh, over the course of, I don't know, 10 years maybe, older than 10, you probably recognize that you got some stuff. And some of us, because of our past, we feel disqualified. We feel like, you know what, God, um, I know that you love people, but some of us, we struggle with the idea that God loves us because we know all the stuff we've done. Like, yeah, you, you forgive that person. I get it. But God, you know what I've done. I know what I've done. And some of us, we feel disqualified. Some of us feel like God couldn't use us because of that thing in the past. And Rahab, the woman with all the excuses, all the, the, the extensive resume of reasons why she shouldn't be used by God, she was the one who said, you know what? I see that God is greater than my past. I see God, that God is greater than my present. I see that God is greater than all the things I've done, all my people have done. I see that God is greater than everything. And she confessed that she had faith. And so maybe you feel disqualified, but understand the question is, Have you introduced your past to the Almighty God? Have you taken your past and said, uh, send him a text, you know, him or her a text, 
and said, hey, I want you to meet my God. And said, God, hey, can you come? I want to set up this coffee date. Maybe it's got to be dinner. Maybe it's got to be a dinner and a movie because, you know, you got to work through some things. Uh, can, can you meet my past? Because what some of us have done, we've kept our past over there. We've been too ashamed to even bring it up in our prayer life. We've been too ashamed to even bring it up to God. We've been too ashamed to even hear what God says about it. And yet God is saying, hey, invite me into this because what I have for you is grace, not shame. Mercy, not guilt. Love. And, and so the question is, have you arranged the meeting between your past and your God? Because it seems as though what Rahab was starting to understand is that God sees her, knows her, loves her, and even though she's been rebelling against him all her life, maybe there's a chance that she could love him too. I mean, after all the relationships she's been in, all the people who have just used her, I'm sure abused her, she has an opportunity to say yes to God, to yes to Yahweh, the God of the universe. I love this. You see, God flips the script on our lives. I don't know if you're noticing this in Rahab, but... (laughs) uh, So she lives in this house. We don't know what the house is like, but she lives in this house. And this house was the location for all of her wickedness to happen each and every day, right? This house, it's a place for evil in her life. And yet the same house that was a place of evil and wickedness for her in her life, this was the same place that God uh, met her in the midst of that. And she confessed her faith in her God. The same place that she used to uh, practice idolatry and worship and further other people's idolatry of the human body. This was the same place that she moved her faith into action. The same place that she used for her own demise was now about to become the location of the deliverance of her and her whole family. See, God flips the script. God flips the script. Whatever you've been through. See, God doesn't waste what we've done. God doesn't waste our past. Whatever experiences you've had. Whatever sins you've had. See, God is working out all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All the things. So if you've uh, struggled with some kind of sin and God will deliver you through that. And guess what? He'll use that to minister to somebody else who's going through that too. If you've dealt with shame, God will deliver you through that. And he will help you help someone else be delivered through that too. God flips the script on our lives. Whatever used to be the hallmark of our sin will then, because because of God, will become the hallmark of His grace. See, God flips the script. Whatever you struggled with, God, my mouth used to be used for condemning God and now God's using it to proclaim His goodness. That's all Him. And you've probably got something like that in your story. And if you don't yet, you'll notice it later because God is always flipping the script on our lives. What Satan meant for evil, God was going to make for good. And he's going to do that in your life too. I know that we know that verse. God, you are working out all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? Go back to your past. Go back 30 minutes ago. Go back to that time yesterday, last week. God's going to meet you. He's going to shower grace upon you. He's calling you to faithfulness. He's calling you to obedience. And yet he's still going to use that in your life. Rahab was being used by God and she would be the one. You would think, uh, 
Of course not. Of course God wouldn't get near her. Of course God wouldn't call her to be a part of his story. And yet, <laughs> this is so cool. So the, the story goes, right? So Rahab has this conversation. It's like, hey, can you, can you give us kindness? Give me kindness and my family kindness because of what I've done for you. Can you, can you reciprocate that? Um, and so the, the men, the Israelite spies, they say, yeah, uh, we, we will certainly do that. We, we appreciate what you've done. And uh, what you need to do, though, is have the scarlet ribbon around your house uh, and make sure that you invite all your family to your house, this house of wickedness, because it's going to be the house of deliverance for you. Uh, bring them all in. And if you go out, then, then I don't know what's going to happen to them. They'll probably die. But you need to stay inside the house. Stay inside the house because God's going to use that as a place for deliverance for you and your family. And so the story so it goes on, right? They get back to Joshua. They prepare for battle. Joshua 6 comes along, and in verse 24, we see what happened. They burned the city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Verse 25, however, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. Y'all, she still lives in Israel today. This woman went from being God's enemy to being God's ally to being a part of God's family. That's the same journey we all get to go on through Jesus. See, what used to be used for evil in her life was the instrument of deliverance. And now... (laughs) we see that she has a legacy. See, I'm, I don't know about you, but the question I started asking myself as I'm reading through this uh, is, did Rahab make a decision based on faith or did she make a decision based on a cold calculation of this is a bigger percentage of me being able to survive all of what's coming or, or is that what she did? Is that, is that why she decided to hide the Israelite spies uh, or was it because of faith? Anybody else wondering that? Was it, was it because of faith or was it just because that's just a, a way to survive? But here's the thing. Uh, Matthew 1, verse 5, in, in the genealogy of Jesus, so this is Jesus' family, uh, we see these words. It's pretty cool. Matthew 1, 5. By the way, genealogies, you can read through them. Uh, slow down. It's important. It's there because it's important. I know it's not very exciting to read, but it's exciting when you see this stuff. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. <laughs> Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. We'll, we'll learn more about her next week. Obed fathered Jesse. So get this, okay? Enemy, prostitute, evil, sinful, wicked, deserve God's judgment, comes to ally, becomes God's family. She's now an Israelite. She's married into the household of God. And then she becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of the Savior of the world. So good. So good. I don't think y'all understand this. This is so good. Later in the, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews in the chapter 11, verse 31, this is where we get our answer to the question that we just asked or I asked and you started thinking about because I asked the question. Uh, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, 
Scripture doesn't give her any grace on her name. Rahab the prostitute, you remember the prostitute one? Yeah. Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. By faith, by faith, this woman who had a past also had faith. She had faith. James 2.25, not to, not to uh, do her any less than what she deserves. So James 2.25, we'll, we'll be doing a series on the book of James later this year. It's going to be really fun. But as a preview, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? The half-brother of Jesus, named James, is using Rahab as a sermon illustration to articulate the fact that when you have faith, it turns into action. Faith without works is dead. And by the way, do you remember this Rahab, the prostitute, who had her faith turned to action? So Rahab is this woman with a past, and yet she had faith. And here's the thing. She teaches us this a profound lesson that can uh, enter into our lives every single moment of every single day. Real faith leads to faithfulness. Real faith leads to faithfulness. When you have faith, when you don't just believe things about God, but you believe God, you you are led to faithfulness. What is faithfulness? It's obedience. It's following what he says. It's saying, yes, God, I know that you are amazing and powerful and wonderful. And yet I also believe that you have what's best for me in mind. So I'm going to do what you say in this moment. In the face of possible death, Rahab chose the lesser of two options in terms of her earthly understanding of what could have happened. And yet, it was the decision made by faith. It was the one that said, didn't make any sense, and yet she chose that because that was the faithful choice. What used to be her past didn't remain her past. God worked in her life. She became an Israelite, and she became a grandmother. To Jesus. Y'all, Rahab is a story of faithfulness. That no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what labels are attached to you, no matter what you say in the mirror when you look at yourself, no matter what you think other people think about you, Rahab shows us that it doesn't matter where you've been or what your name is or your label is. God's calling you to faith, and he will use you in mighty ways. She's the one who never, no one would have ever thought this. No one would have ever written this script, yet God did. So whatever you think is your hang-up to being used by God, being on an adventure for him, understand, Rahab shows us that it's not too great for our God. And when we see the story of Rahab, what we should be reminded of is, while she was a protector of the Israelite spies, She protected them, she hid them, she provided refuge for them. She still had to be delivered. But what we should be reminded of is Jesus, because he is the greater protector. He's the one, while we were spies in a foreign land, because we are part of his kingdom, we were meant to be in his presence, and yet we are in this earth where there is a uh, leader of this dominion of darkness. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. While we were in this far off land, while we are in this far off land, Jesus is the one who provided us refuge and protection. Jesus is the one who gives us another day, gives us another life. He gives us a gift. 
And not only did he protect and does he protect like Rahab did, he is also the one. He's not the one that needs to be delivered. He's the one who delivers you. He's the one who rescues you from your own demise and welcomes you from being an enemy of his to being in his family, to being a child of his. See, when we look at Rahab, when we look at any of these characters in Scripture who lived uh, historically, they are real people, by the way, we should be reminded of the goodness of Jesus because he's the one who flips the script in our lives. He's the only one who can provide transformation. He's the only one who can turn your faith into faithfulness. So the question for all of us, in every moment of our lives, is what does faithfulness look like today? What does faithfulness look like today? In this moment, in the next moment, when things are hard, when things are tough, when things are exciting, when things are good, when you're faced with a choice, when you're faced with a temptation, what does faithfulness look like today? What does faith require of me? What does faith require of me? It might look like letting go of your past and making that arrangement so God can meet that past of yours and shower you with grace. It may mean trusting God to go past your fear and jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. (laughs) Metaphorically speaking, of course. Maybe real, who knows. It may look like choosing the harder of the two options. Why? Because God's not here to simply make you comfortable and safe. His protection goes beyond safety. He's calling you to be on mission for him, to be on an adventure with him. Where you go and you you love people like Jesus did. Where you see people who are, based on what you would say in this next moment, could be life or death for them, you choose life just like Rahab did for those spies. What does faithfulness look like today? That's the question we always have to ask ourselves in every moment of every day. What does faithfulness look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And I'm leaving you with a question because I want you to wrestle with that. I'm not going to simply give you the answer. Because if you follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living and breathing in you. So God can lead you where you want to go. God can lead you where he wants you to go. God can show you the fork in the road and lead you down the right path. But we have to be in tune. We have to be present and recognize that we are not too far gone. We are not the exception to the rule. We are loved and we are called by him to be instruments of righteousness for him. So what does faithfulness look like to me? It may look like for, for some of us, whether you're in this room or on this stream or you're listening to this later or you're watching it later, it may look like you surrendering to Jesus for the first time in your life, fully, 100%, not leaving anything else on the table, saying, Jesus, you are king. You are amazing. You've got it all. I've got nothing without you. I've got some things that I think could measure up in some way, but I've realized because of your goodness and your grace, I've got nothing without you. You may need to reach out to someone who can walk you down the path of what it looks like to follow Jesus. You can contact me. You can talk to me after service or send me a message or whatever. FCCfamily.com. Get in touch with us. 
I'd love to talk to you about that. If you are someone who has made that surrender, you've made that decision, then, then maybe it's a, a decision to just say, yes, Jesus, I'm still in this. Please help me to be faithful in this day. It's a simple prayer to start today. Show me what faithfulness looks like today. We can be reminded that Rahab, despite her past, she had faith. And God's calling us to do the same. Church, would you stand? Father, we come to you thanking you for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness to us, your mercy that you shower upon us, the the fact that we don't deserve any of your mercy, any of your grace. We are like the Canaanites who deserve nothing but judgment and destruction. And yet, God, we are so grateful that you look to us and you give us an opportunity to have faith in you, to have our whole selves be surrendered in allegiance to you, God. Help us to recognize that. Help us in the face of all the idols that we may dabble in in our culture today. Help us to see what Rahab saw. Your goodness, your power beyond all of it. And to choose you above everything else. God, we're grateful that through Jesus, you have protected us, you've delivered us, and you've shown us what faithfulness looked like. Jesus, you you gave us the example. We're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you showed us that it looks like love. It looks like self-sacrifice. It looks like saying yes to you, no to ourselves, and yes to others. It looks like having a healthy relationship with ourselves where we can love ourselves so that we can love others. Where we can lean into the uncomfortable moments and choose faithfulness even still. Lord Jesus, we love you. We pray that you would give us the faith to believe you. That you are true, you are right, and you are good. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.